Hello and welcome to the Fundamental Value Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. Quick disclaimer before we begin, nothing is investment advice. Read our you know, show notes for complete disclosures. You guys don't really want to hear this. Uh, but in this week's episode, I am very, very excited about this. I, I talked to both JJ Peterson and Alex Friedberg from Block by Block Capital a few weeks ago, and they were telling me about their story of you know kind of being the kings of the kimchi premium. And, and mm-hmm. so that's going to be kind of the focus of this episode. Super excited to have you guys on. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having us. And so, you know, the question we like to start with with every guest is, you know, unfortunately, we had lives before crypto, you know, before we fell down this rabbit hole and got wrapped up in all the nonsense we're about to speak about. Uh, what were your lives before crypto? Um, you know, can, and, and how did you guys meet? So uh, I can probably start. We met in college. Uh, we were in the same fraternity together, and I I went the the walk of life of the tech. Uh, the tech side. So out of college, I went to work for Amazon, um, moved from uh, Boston to my hometown area, represent up here, um, out to Seattle, and then uh, worked there at Amazon for, for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then um, there's this company called Coupon, which uh, is actually going to IPO this year, hopefully. And there was a really cool opportunity where I had the, the ability to go move out there, move to Korea, figure that whole situation out. And that was kind of the foray where like my uh, expertise in crypto and Korea kind of started. So uh, on the tech side, like, you know, building lots of systems, um, focused on mobile product development, e-commerce, um, you know, that whole side of the world was, was, uh, my background, which is great. You know, I, I love that. And, um, in 2017, that was when there was a lot of the, uh, kind of kimchi premiums maybe being, uh, being brought to light a little bit more. Um, so one of my buddies who worked at coupon with me, he like came over to my place, uh, and was like, Hey, um, if you just send me Bitcoin and I was like, what's Bitcoin? <laughs> First of all, he's like, just, just, just ignore all that. Right. Like if you just send me Bitcoin, uh, you know, we can make like 10%. And I was like, this, this doesn't make any sense. I'm a tech guy. Like I'm working on like mobile product development stuff. I don't understand like what is arbitrage. And he's like, just listen, just do it. And so he like brought some beers, uh, and he brought his dog over to my place, um, on a Sunday. Right. And we were just like doing it. And like all of a sudden, you know, a couple minutes, you know, like let's say 30 minutes goes by right after all like the block times and things like that. And he's like, cool. We now have like hundred dollars more than we started with. And I was like, uh, okay, that's pretty interesting. And for me, I was like the only person that I really know and trust in finance is JJ. <laughs> so <laughs> basically gave him a call and I was like, you know, talking about, uh, talking about this and I think he can maybe share a little bit more about his background, but that's kind of like, where the seed story started. And then from there, it was just like a whole crazy adventure on, you know, blowing it out of the water. Yeah. Let, let's hear your background, JJ, because I know we're going to get really deep into this story, story really fast. Let's get a quick background before we start diving in. Yeah. So my background, uh, my family has a wealth management company. Um, I started learning to code like technical systems when I was like 15. I like bought my first stock with like my birthday money when I was like 12. So I, I got my license to... What was your first stock you bought? Uh, Elon. 
and they ended up going bankrupt. I think it was a terrible, it was, it was like the worst pick you could ever make. Uh, but I always say like in trading and investing, um, the best lessons are the ones you pay for. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, anyhow, so I got my license to become an investment advisor on my 18th birthday. Uh, like first day you could like legally do it. I still think like I might like have the record for the youngest person to ever do it but uh never never got that confirmed um i mean you couldn't be any younger unless unless somebody got it like the minute they turned 18 yeah well technically i started taking the test before my birth time and i came out of the test one hour after my birth time so like it'd be pretty hard for someone to beat me so anyhow that's a challenge to all our 17 year old (laughs) listeners here (laughs) I, i still think i hold the record but um anyhow yeah, so did that, did that before I went to college, went to college, met Alex, and then out of college, I went back and I, you know, started working with my family, um, doing traditional wealth management, and then we were kind of working on building some uh, some technical systems. I've always kind of been working on those. And then, yeah, and then Alex called me up about this crypto opportunity, and I took one look at it, and I said, whoa, <laughs> okay, we can make a lot of money doing this. And, and so like, had no. you touched crypto before, or was this both of your first experience oh, with digital man. assets? Okay, so I had been looking at crypto for a while, um, and I kept just thinking it was like just all scam, garbage, trash. And like I wrote an email in 2013. Yeah, you, gotta, you gotta tell them about the email. Yeah. <laughs> so like a bunch of guys in our fraternity were like, "What's Bitcoin?" So like I wrote an email to the fraternity, and I was like, and I kind of gave my whole spiel on what it was because I'd been looking at it, and then I was like, you know, honestly, your best bet is probably just to arbitrage the markets because it looks pretty inefficient right now. And like, I didn't do it. And like, I still look at that email from 2013. And like, what the heck was I doing? Like, <laughs> I think the best part about that is we didn't even, we didn't even like find that email until after we had started arbitraging and being like, yeah, we, we. No, we, so. we didn't find that email until like 2019 or something. It was like, well, after we had done everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, every, everybody has that story. I still remember, you know, one of my, one of my co-founders of my company, I think I've said this before on the podcast, um, was was actually uh, back in 2013, uh, was basically you know providing short-term uh, Bitcoin loans on Bitfinex at the time for like you know more than 100% APY, and he's like, this is just way too risky. And I remember talking to him in 2013, and I had you know I had some money, um, you know you know being Jewish at a bar mitzvah, and we all get a little bit of of, of kesef for money, as they say, and so. You know, I had a little bit of money and just had in, you know, whatever generic, you know, crappy stocks that yielded eight percent a year, and uh, it just didn't listen to him. Didn't didn't even didn't even look at it. And so I think we all we we all have that unfortunate story. But we're here now, and you guys made a lot of money off this thing called the kimchi premium. So let's get into that. What is before we even get into the story? What is the kimchi premium? How did this thing start? And then let's hear how you know, uh, you know, Alex, how your call from JJ led to this. You know, you know what should be movie on you know chasing the kimchi <laughs> premium <laughs> many of our friends like when we when we told the story to our friends like our, our really core group of friends for the first time they were like have you guys documented this because this definitely sounds like a crazy movie um so for the people who don't don't know the kimchi premium is what they call the price premiums around crypto assets in korea and so korea is a very um, capital control heavy 
country. If you are a Korean, there is limitations and a lot of restrictions on money that you can wire outside of Korea. And Korea is a very isolated ecosystem. And so if you're trying to connect the global you know, crypto ecosystem or even you know, global financial services, there are very strict and few routes that you can go to or go through. And so uh, what happened when there was you know, not as much attention, liquidity and uh, people in the crypto markets, the prices of Bitcoin were just a lot higher in Korea. Um, to the to the amounts of in the the craziest peak times it was 55 percent higher right and so like i think it was like trading at uh, just under like in 2000 end of 2017 it was like almost 20k usd like 19 and change usd and you could sell bitcoin for 30 million won right you could just if you had access to any any bitcoin purchasing uh, avenues anywhere else outside of the country, and then you could send it into the country and sell it on Upbit, Bitthumb, Coinwon, Corbit. You would just make instantly fifty percent. That's so absurd. Like for anybody listening, that is <laughs> the most ridiculous thing ever. That you can take an asset and sell it in a different country for fifty percent. And so, and so, how did this? How did this get started? Right? You know, you, you did this trade with your friend in, in Korea, and you turned a thousand bucks into eleven hundred. How did yeah. you know? How did JJ respond? I mean, we're, I mean, obviously you were skeptical, Alex, when you first did this. What was JJ's response? So I, so like, yeah, after, um, after my friend left, he was like, yeah, man, like as long as you can figure out the banking in the U.S. and you can, you know, increase your limits on whatever U.S. exchange, like we can start ramping this up. I was like, okay, like I just need to, I just need to do some research, right? Like I think as a, as a product person, I'm all about benchmarking and research and, you know, trying to figure out what are the options. So call to JJ went like this, Hey JJ, like, you know, did this thing called like arbitrage. I'm not sure what it is. He's like, yeah, that's like, yeah. And I know a lot about that. Of course. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. So this is what we did. I just, you know, I just bought hundred, you know, thousand bucks, whatever, and sent it here. He's like, yeah can I get in on that? <laughs> uh, and I think it was, I think I was just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause for me, it was just like, I don't even know what's going on right now. And so, uh, basically just got on, I think we got on a call maybe with Jiho who's, uh, who's our buddy. And we were just like talking about it. And JJ was great because he was like, guys, like you, you both have, you both have jobs. Uh, none of you clearly know how to trade. <laughs> I can trade, like, let me, you know, let me be the trader. And so we kind of just started figuring out who, who can do what, right? Cause you know, we have to figure out how do we get the money to the bank and how do we, uh, you know, get it into the system in the U S side, get it out on the Korea side and then, you know, trading it along the way. And so I think it just started by saying like, who has time to do this? And uh, me and Jiho definitely had the least amount of time uh, just because we had you know, full-time jobs. So it was just, how can we start, how, how can we start doing this um, the simplest way possible, which is just, you know, personally, JJ has never met Jiho before. He's like, I'm going to send you this money. And because I trust Alex, I'm hoping that this guy will, you know, send this, send this money back to me uh, on the tail end. And that's, that's how it started. Oh yeah, no, it was pretty hilarious because both of us, Jiho and I were both basically both just taking like all the cash that we had, uh, which was like not a lot at the time. Like, and we were just like, okay, like I'm going to send you like 
a bunch of cash and I'm going to hope that it comes back to me. But I just took one look at this and I was just like, we can make a ridiculous killing on this. It was, I mean, it was also before like everyone was, you know, let's get on zoom and let's meet people face to face. So like, I don't think that, you know, these guys saw each other's faces for months after we started. Oh, oh yeah. No, we, all trust. I, I don't think I ever like really saw Jiho's face until I came to Korea, like after we had done tons of volume. Yeah. Yeah. No, like and, the, <laughs> and so what, the, no, go for it. Go for it. No, no, no. I was going to say, I think the funny part though, was like when Jiho and uh, like Alex looked at this at first, they were looking at like maxing out a Coinbase account with like 30,000. And I was just like, yeah, like, okay, guys, we're just going to scale this because, like, this is ridiculous. Like, I was, and I was, my mind just instantly went to, like, how do we just move as much money as possible? And yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. And and so how how did the trade actually work? So I'm, I'm assuming it's you know JJ, you went to a U.S. exchange, put as much cash on as you could, buy it, bought as much Bitcoin, sent it to Korea, you know, got you know, then sold the Bitcoin for Korean won. But how'd you actually get the Korean won back into U.S. dollars? How did that work? Yeah, okay, so that's like that's the big secret of the trade, right? That's what everyone wanted to know because everyone saw this trade. It wasn't like we were like gods for identifying. I mean, everybody saw on Coin Market Cap. I mean, I don't. I'm sure you guys remember when Coin Market Cap removed Korean pairs from their yeah, pricing exactly. back in 2017. Everything crashed because yeah, of yeah, just yeah, how yeah. big the premium was. Yes. Um, so no, what? What happened was uh, we started off by using both of our bank accounts and then it went towards just using my bank account. And it was basically the first few routes were just like personal um, and effectively like I would take all the cash in my account and then we were using Kraken at the time and we would put it into Kraken and then I'd buy Bitcoin. And then like there was no hedging in 2017. Like (laughs) there was no markets. Like so we would just take like send it hope the block times were short and then we would like, right. And I guess the the price of Bitcoin could go down 10% by the time your block got confirmed in 2017, just because of how volatile. Spoiler alert. There were some interesting calls that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll have to explain like the fluctuation, the premiums, because that was interesting, but yeah, we would just send the Bitcoin and it would hit Korea. We'd sell it. We'd get it to a bank account and withdraw it. Uh, and a big part of the secret was like, how much could you pull out of the exchanges? And we can get into that. And then Jiho and Juan, who are our two Korean partners, just like ha- we just had like this great entrepreneurship mindset of how to safely navigate the banks in a way that other people didn't. Like, I don't, I don't know how to say it better than that. Yeah. Um, but, I think, yeah. So part, part of, you know, I think part of, uh, capturing opportunity is being entrepreneurial in general, right? Whether it's trading or whether it's starting a company. And these two guys, they are definitely more entrepreneurial than most. Like they're, you know, 500 startups, they've done YC. And so they're tech guys, right? They're definitely not finance guys. And, and for them, I think it was part of the challenge of like, wait, you're saying we can't just remit money how we want it? Like, this doesn't make sense. Right. And so we went really deep onto what are the FX regulations with the Bank of Korea? Like, what are the things that you are allowed to do or the things that you are hard not allowed to do? And I think we just were more creative, right? We were really creative and we formalized our operations in ways that, you know, the theoretical limit of if you were doing this 
for with personal accounts and personal limits was like, yeah, like 30K, 50K, something like that. But because I think JJ had the vision to say, we can make this so much more. And the fact that, you know, the team that we, I guess, put together was just like, how do, we don't want to, you know, quote unquote, break the system, but we definitely want to figure out how to navigate it exceptionally efficiently. And that's what we did. And we, you know, created the company and we figured out, you know, how can we get good relationship management with the exchanges and, and the banks and, and, you know, figure out an, an asset class that's emerging. Like how can you basically arbitrage knowledge and information in ways that allow us to do the things that we were able to do. And so one of the things that always went through my head is, I mean, banks are really slow. I mean, Bitcoin is slow, but banks are really slow. And and, and I can't imagine that sending money from Korea okay. to the U.S. is, is an immediate oh, wait, thing. No, no, no. This is the epic part. <laughs> so, so Shinhan Bank and Chase Bank use the same uh, like internal structure for Swift wires. So it was nearly instant for wires. So wow. we, we had a perfect 24-hour turnaround from we would uh, – like I would start the process at 9 a.m. when I could go to the bank in the morning and I, I walk into the branch and the branch manager, like by the end of it, knew me because every day I was walking in just wiring out crazy amounts of money. And he was just like, OK, good to see you this morning. And he's like, oh, why didn't I see you yesterday or whatever? And I was walking in. I mean, he like, must have thought like, you were laundering money or something. Given the <laughs> amount of cash you guys are like we got super lucky because my bank manager had a friend who made money on Ethereum. So he just like happened to know about crypto and he was super comfortable with it. So he just let me basically, he would do approve anything I wanted. And I was, we were giving them tons of wires. So they were fine with it. So morning I would walk into the bank disheveled and wire the money um, into Kraken. And then it would hit Kraken hopefully pretty quickly. Like sometimes this is where like uh, we had, that was the slowest leg of it. And then we would buy crypto send the crypto to Korea, sell, get it on the Shinhan bank, and then wire it back. And typically like from 9 a.m., my wire would hit Kraken at about 2 to 4 p.m. And then I'd be done trading by about 6 p.m., which was uh, like 3 a.m. Korea time. And then Jiho would go to the bank first thing in the morning, get the wire out. So, And then it would hit my bank and I would see it hit the bank at about like, I mean, how, how, I mean, obviously you have to spend a couple hours trading in. I mean, what, what kind of size did you guys get up to? I mean, I guess I'm assuming you had to spend a couple hours trading out of that position as well, unwinding in Korea. Yeah, I think the biggest day we did was about 7 million in volume. No, no, no. no. We did two days. We had two days worth of wires. Yeah, so we did about, I think we did like 11 or 12 million of volume in one day. Um, yeah, that was a pretty profitable day. I think, so, you know, part, part of the... Uh, the I think oversight that you see in America is like, yeah, the banks are super slow, especially when you're trying to transfer in and out of exchanges. That is totally not what it's like in the rest of the world. And Korea specifically, almost all bank wires, bank wires intra-country are instant. Like I can send to you like, you know, just like P2P transactions on Venmo that are instant. Like that's what banking was like well before, you know, 2017 in Korea. And so 
the fiat on off in Korea was actually not not the hardest thing. Like it was very easy. But what about what about yeah. the liquidity in Korea in terms of okay, we've gotten a le- we 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 got to buy it. First of all, we want to buy eleven million dollars of the Bitcoin on Kraken. So what is your slippage there? How long does it take to put that trade on? How do you actually execute it? And it's not like you had smart order routers. It's not like you guys were routing the order across seven different exchanges or to OTC desks. You guys were physically clicking a button to trade on Kraken. And so, yeah. you know, how do you actually get that position on without slippage? And and you know that takes time, right? And you know your cost basis is potentially changing significantly as you're trading in and out of that into that position. But also, how do you get out in Korea? I mean, you know, what is the liquidity like there? Are you splitting that order up across multiple exchanges? Yeah, we actually had, um, we ended up with two other partners. So this was part of the story of, of how we got scale. We had two other partners in America who came in. And uh, one of them was this this girl and she had a, a Chase private bank connection. And she was like a private wealth client for Chase. So they gave her infinite wires and she happened to be on Gemini. Like, cause you couldn't, like we were waiting six months to get applications through for corporate accounts. Like Coin Coinbase didn't give us an account. Um, like I was sitting waiting from I don't know July, and I think I finally got approved for a corporate account in I don't know uh, January or February. I, mean, I, I remember I remember in early 2018 I met with uh, the CEO of of Bittrex. Was that something where he was talking? And you know he's like, we have like an eight month delay to make an account. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So no, part yeah, part of it was we just found another partner in the US who happened to have a Gemini account and Gemini had a ton of volume in like late 2017. Um so she would just buy and like this was where spreads were like 20-25% and like I couldn't do all the trading at this point. So like when she would buy, we would probably take like 2%, 3% of slippage. And <laughs> like and I think it was just one of those things where, uh, yeah, in, in hindsight, I actually still regret that because I know that if I had done all the manual trading, we probably could have taken more, but we'd break it up into like 500K million dollar orders. And then you just route that five, six, seven times. Take yeah. a couple hours. And then on the Korea side, we, uh, as we were scaling, so part of the other story was like in terms of my background as well. Um, I was getting a little burnt out of e-commerce, so ended up moving to Singapore to work for Grab. But because all of this started, this, this was also the time where like we really started ramping up. So I was only, you know, I'd say like three months into my stay with Singapore after relocating here. I was like, sorry guys, like gonna have to quit and move back to Korea. And then we were just trying to figure out how can we build better relationships with the exchanges. So we would split it up to like all of the big four exchanges in Korea at the time, which was Corbett, Coin One, uh, BitThumb, and then we were we were trying to do Upbit, but they weren't really on personal accounts. And so the funny thing is like the trading uh, in 2017 in Korea was just bananas, right? So like there was so much. Uh, every retail person in Korea, every, every young person. person. Order, yeah. order books, I think, were you know a lot thicker than they are now um, today. But the most button clicking that we actually had to do was withdrawing money from the exchange because they have this weird policy where you can only withdraw in blocks of, of you know like let's say 90 k, hundred million Korean won, and that requires like 
tons of like OTP, you know, stuff like that. So like the most time that we would have to spend is like waking up at six in the morning. And I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to like click all these buttons. And I have to, me. I have to, yeah. I mean, an 11 million in withdrawals, it's a lot of, that's 110 withdrawals plus. Yeah. So. Yeah. So like finally, like Juan wrote like a little script and we like, you know, had these things like helping it. But like that, that was like our pain in the ass. Right? I was just like, God, like how? How can we? How can we get like higher withdrawal limits? And they're just like, nope, no, no, like definitely. Can't. We we can we can increase your volume and we can increase your limits. But we cannot change the per withdrawal uh, block time. Oh, okay, but so so you know when when you first started, Alex, you had a thousand bucks. Is what you told me. How the yeah. hell did you get to eleven million? I mean, I know if you take eleven a thousand and then you make twenty percent on it every day and twenty percent, twenty percent, and twenty percent in compounds, but getting up to being able to do eleven million. <laughs> Is a, is a big we, difference. Should we tell him the Kraken story? Uh, no. And also, <laughs> and also, were you taking were you taking leverage on any of these positions as well? Were you guys we, borrowing? We weren't taking leverage. Um, a lot of it. Okay, so part of the story that I think is like really important was the time from like May until basically like November of seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, yep. where spreads were about two percent, and like this is actually the whole way that it like became possible for us to do, do what we did in December and January was because I like there was a 2% spread and I don't know a lot of like these guys were kind of like yeah like it's not really worth it it's pretty difficult and I was like okay you know what I like literally just stood up in the office and I told my parents I was like hey just like stop paying me for a little while I'm going to try to do this so I manually traded by hand like 100 200k on a 1 or 2% spread uh every single day and I would basically take every single trade as a day trade. And I didn't know how long I was going to be in the trade for. But I was starting every trade at like a 1% or 2% like profit. Um, and I ended up with like a 96% like win rate on that. Like, yeah, you're starting every trade at a profit. Problem is you don't know if you're holding that trade for 30 minutes or for like three hours. 36 hours after the BCH. Uh, oh, yeah. Before, that, that was a, a difficult yeah. Um, so we start off by just like trying to make, we were oh, making, and that was like, early. Cause that was July, 2017, wasn't it? That oh yeah. That totally, yeah. that totally screwed. I was checking my like phone every single like minute for, I don't know, like however long it took for that one to clear. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So like we had this long process and we like built up a decent amount of cash where we went, uh, from, I don't know, let's just call it like hundred K to, I don't know, like 500 K or a mil. You know, the, the, the part of the formalization was, Hey, like everyone let's put up an equal amount of cash and we'll all be, you know, equal partners in this, in this company. So we all put up like 25 K right. Use hundred K as our you know, starting capital. And then JJ just went to town with that <laughs> every day. <Yeah. laughs> and, and we, and we just traded that up. And then we brought on the, like the kind of the partners I told you, we had two other partners in the U S who had like private wealth connections uh, at, at Chase Bank. And that's kind of how we routed some more money through the US. So then they put in some capital um, as well. But then honestly, like it was just compounding. When you're compounding at like 10 to 20% a day. I mean, uh, what was your average daily return? Was it like 10 to 20%? So it depends. Do you factor in that massive period between like May through like whatever? Because then I think we averaged around like 15 to 20. But if you just took that December, January, which was really when like the big dollars came, like that was, that was like 20 plus well over 20. That's yeah. insane. It's, it's yeah, just, crazy. it's absurd. Yeah. yeah we, we actually ended up like, 
losing a ton of money because of Christmas and New Year's because the banks were closed. So yeah. like eventually we got. Oh, so, so were you like sitting on Bitcoin and it was dropping kind of thing at that point? No, no, no. Like opportunity loss. Right? Oh, got it. Okay. And we, like we had a spread of like 30 or 40 percent over like Christmas and New Year's. And like we just yeah. couldn't wire because the banks were closed. Yeah. We're just like. Uh, I never yeah. hated Christmas more. <laughs> I never. You should have. You should have got on a flight with some, you know, bags of cash or something. And uh... oh man, we have we have stories oh, of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we so we knew um, we knew a lot of people doing this in different ways. Like one of the guys that we had heard of was like quote unquote the largest importer exporter of you know some certain fish. And if you look at all of the imports that he would do on, you know, this type of produce or whatever, it's like, so you're saying that you as an individual person are buying, you know, as, as much fish as like the GDP, you know, buying power of all of Korea, like <laughs> a little sketchy or like people hauling physical gold, right. And like bringing in physical gold, um, bags of cash, but we just, I don't know. It seems like you guys had a better strategy than them. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we still kick ourselves for not doing the cash transactions because every Friday a lot of guys from Korea, even guys we knew, would just have like a briefcase next to them and they would have like a couple hundred K and they would just fly to Hong Kong and they would deposit it with like ANX or uh there was another player and they would just deposit the cash to buy the Bitcoin and then transfer it back. And we we thought about doing it and like I actually requested the bank to get a bunch of cash on hand and I was gonna go like pick it up. I was like, you know what? I was like, honestly, I don't want to get robbed. Like, I was like, this isn't worth it. Like, we've already made like a bunch of money. And then the bank like called us and they were really mad at us because they were like, uh, we transferred a ton of USD to this branch and like you didn't pick it up. Like, are you coming? We're like, oh no, sorry. <laughs> um, also, physical cash is very heavy. Like, if you're trying to move cash, like, you know, in volume. Well, and you can only like bring 10K into the u.s without no no, 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 no. It. you have to declare it yeah. right this is without declaring it without declaring it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no so like that was the thing if we had brought you know five mil of cash or whatever to uh hong kong uh, we'd have to declare it first of all um and that just that's hard to know. hide five million dollars in cash yeah you're not, yeah, not, definitely not trying to hide anything because also that amount is like 400 pounds like 436 pounds of weight Something like that. I like. I, I that was a very specific number that you threw out there. <laughs> Seems like you guys looked into it. <laughs> we, we definitely, we definitely looked into it. And so, what were the biggest challenges that you had? I mean, beside aside from, you know, uh, you know, the time it actually took to deposit funds into Kraken in U.S. banking hours. Uh, Korean exchange withdrawal limits. Right. Right. So Korean exchanges had like a maximum withdrawal limit of like 100K per day as a starting point. So like one of the things that happened was in November, December of 17, like Alex and I both just like went to Korea. And then we just started like knocking on the doors of all the exchanges and like getting physical meetings with them and just being like, can you increase our limits? And we were maxed out on BitThumb. We were maxed out on Coin One and uh, Corbett doubled our limit. We had the single highest withdrawal limit daily on Corbett. Um, so like we knew that we were like, nobody was withdrawing more money a day than we I mean, were. So you guys literally couldn't have deployed more capital than you did. 
no, no, we like, and that was the thing you were totally, you were, you were limited. I think we were limited at what was it? Was it five or seven like five million, million in one? Yeah. Five, a day. Million, five billion green one per day under yeah. our corporate structure. And like, but, it, but it was seven days a week. So it was 35 yeah. million, 35 billion Korean won a week, which, which is like, what's the USD equivalent on that? Like 30, 30 million a week. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. And so did you guys ever, I mean, I guess at this point, if you guys had the capital, you didn't need to, but did you ever consider levering up on those trades just to, you know, you increase your returns? You couldn't because I mean, you couldn't, the, you couldn't borrow Bitcoin in the U S no, that the choke point became, uh, the withdrawals from the exchanges. So our capital actually kept matching um, the choke point of the like, yeah, the bottleneck was the pulling it out of the exchanges. I mean, did, so, you, did you guys not think about, hey, let's start five companies and just, you know. Okay, so this was, yeah, yes. But this was like the trick actually was Korean banking is very much about your relationship with banks. So what, what happened was, is we just happened to get one company with one bank manager who was totally on board with what we were doing. And um, like that was that was the whole secret sauce was like our relationships with the banks and that one company we had. If we started a whole new company, you would have had to start from scratch. Maybe you could get accounts, maybe you couldn't. And your limits would be super small. We did more volume with one really good company than guys we knew who had like 50 or 100 companies. Right. And I think, I think the other part was like, the relationships with the exchanges, because we talked with them about this and like, you know, they're doing the KYC, right? Especially for corporate accounts, which at the time they didn't do that many. And so they were like, you know, please don't do this because it's all the same people. It's all the same KYC, like, and they're like, they're already giving us a lot, right? And so it's Korea and I think a lot of, you know, Asian culture in general is about giving take. Right. And I think we're not just trying to take, 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 take. We're trying to make it a great relationship so that, you know, if the nozzle gets cut off on our one company, that is infinitely worse than, you know, not getting as great of a relationship with, you know, four or five companies. Right. We, right. I mean, I mean, if, and if you were if you guys were, you know, able to do five million a day and you're talking at the end of it, it was 20 to 25%. I mean, you guys are taking a million bucks a day. I mean, you know, you know, take it or leave it. There's some slippage and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe a little bit more cost, but I mean, it's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and, and, that's the other and how old were you guys at that point? 27, 27. Yeah. 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 That's wild. It's, it's wild. <laughs> and so, and so how and why did you wind down that operation? I mean, if you're just making a million dollars a day, I mean, I'm sure that's not the easiest thing to leave behind. Uh, the bank's polite, our bank man. And JJ's, JJ's Wi-Fi might've cut out at the hotel, but um, partly it was the bear market spreads um, compressing things in 2018, but also as of the beginning of 2018, there were a lot more guidelines from the Korean FIU over banks saying like, you cannot process, you know, any types of crypto related stuff. And so there's a lot of, um, a lot of government pressure to tighten up the capital controls again, because it just got so blown out crazy. So it was, just, it's just really difficult, right? Like the, the knowledge and information arbitrage effectively was became increasingly more difficult. Right. And the bank manager was like, you know, now that crypto is like 
you know, Bitcoin is on the news in Korea, like aunties and uncles and, you know, Ajumas, Ajashis, like they are like going in and like buying crypto. And so Korea is very protective of their citizens in terms of investment losses. And so because it was so, there was such a premium that they were like, the only possible outcome is it crumbles and it only hurts Korea, right? Because it gets compressed. And so they were like, how can we, you know, how can we kind of curb this craziness? And so there's just, you know, a lot more tightening of restrictions, a lot more, uh, you know, policies on the exchanges. And so I think that was also a contributing factor. And so, I mean, you know, being entrepreneurial, you guys probably tried a few different things. And I know that in 2018, you launched a Korean won back stablecoin, which I think makes sense, you know, given your story, right? You know, if you can't use the bank, use a stablecoin. And yep. so was that kind of your first thing where it's like, hey, this is the solution to the problem. I mean, I'm sure you guys tried a lot of things or thought through things. It's hard to go from making a million bucks plus a day to not making a million bucks plus a day. So, <laughs> you know, I would love to kind of hear that. I think, I think, um, so the, so me, Jiho and Juan, like we're all tech entrepreneurs, right? And so the thing that we understand is, is building companies, building products. And I really give props to JJ where, he was the one who has a lot of the knowledge and insights on like, man, like we could, you know, we could build this network of, you know, arbitrage companies or, um, you know, like, like there, there are things that we can do to capture this. And so we were like, okay, JJ, like, what do we build? And he's like, let's build a stable coin. Right. Cause then if we get like other people, you know, all the other market makers on board, we'll just give it to them as a product. Right. And then, you know, we own the underlying business. And this was when, you know, Tether was gaining popularity and it was kind of the rise of stable coins where you had TUSD and, you know, everyone else coming out with whatever. And so I don't, I think that we might've been like one of the first non-USD stable coins. And so that, that was um, a great extension where JJ had a cool vision on how we could use that product. And then we were just like, yeah, like we can totally figure out how to build it. Yeah. It was it was interesting. the The thought process was there. I we knew that people would be better at arbitraging than we were. Um, like we we sat down with like Sam, uh, like before FTX was really this massive thing, right? We were talking because they did decided to become public, you know, a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I just remember talking to Sam, and I was just like, man, like you you guys are so much better at arbitraging than I am. Like I'm not even going to like try to pretend that I'm as good at this as you are. Um, and, and that was like the whole reason I, I knew that from the start that we weren't going to be the greatest people at arbitraging. And like, it was really just a triangle trade, right? It wasn't even like a proper arbitrage. Um, right. so like the idea was, okay, like let's give away this opportunity and then try to own the underlying business. Yeah. And that's, and, and I think part of it was like all of the IP that we had was understanding how the regulatory frameworks uh, you know, needed to, you know, operate and understanding the banks and how the, the comfort level with, I'd say me and JJ as, you know, Americans, as foreigners were able to build more trust with people outside of Korea. Cause for everyone else outside of Korea, it's like a black box. You're like, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know who to trust. I don't know, you know, who to contact for, you know, trying to do business there. And so I think we had a really great team between the two of us and, and um, Jiho and Juan, whereas like those guys handled everything inside of Korea. 
they were the face there. Everyone inside of Korea trusted them. And then everyone outside of Korea would interface with the two of us and they trusted us. And so it was, it was, it was really a cool extension of we built the entire arbitrage business on trust, right? JJ just sending all of his money to Jiho. And I think that was, you know, what we saw in crypto was really important is there's so much crazy shit going on. There's people that you don't know about all over the world. If we can, we can just show that like, this is a trustworthy and functional business. That's what we were banking on. And that's what we were banking on to kind of bring the, um, you know, KRWB token to success. And, you know, we could go into so so much more about the story. And I mean, my, I have questions about how you got banking, you know, approval on this and, and all that. But, you know, I think that's that that should be for another. That's another story for another time. But, you know, the, your, your, your K, KRWB eventually got acquired by, you know, Binance. Um, and that led to you guys, you know, helping to co-found uh, Binance Korea. So can you can you talk about that process, how that came about, you know, um, how you even, I mean, you know, how that even started, you know, did they reach out to you? You reached out to them. Did you guys like, get acquired for BNB? Like, I'd love to kind of hear it. Yeah. That part. <laughs> and are you still sitting on that BNB? Cause you guys are, or should be really happy if you are. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 So we actually just like became friends with a few people from, from Binance, um, back in, I don't know, probably like 2018. And we, we really had like no interest in like, at the time they were in exchange we were you know kind of doing our own thing there was really no like synergy we were all just kind of like friends and then it got to the point where binance was really looking at expanding into a bunch of different regions and it just became like a very natural fit that using a stable coin plus banking infrastructure that we had could work really well so it, it was actually just like a really natural progression um on on how that deal kind of came to place um i don't think we actually ever or could ever discuss the terms of of the uh of the buyout like none of that was public and i don't think it was ever going to be so sorry to burst the bubble there um <laughs> but uh i can't tell you that we like do have some bnb that we like personally purchased like we did that one time <laughs> um but no so yeah like it was it was really cool working with them and building out Kind of a new local exchange uh like alex can talk more to like kind of the hiccups that we ran into um because I, I think it was like an unfortunate opportunity that didn't come to fruition uh because of the regulatory situation that arose in korea and it was specifically around what we were trying to do with the stable coin and cross-border liquidity and neutralizing the spreads uh, and then korea basically said you're not allowed to do cross-border liquidity on korean exchanges and that kind of destroyed the entire business model of Binance Korea that we had built. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so I'd say it was it was exceptionally exciting to work with a tech company like Binance that is growing at ridiculous rates, and them just trying to invest in all these different type of ecosystem plays, building all these different sorts of products. And so we basically agreed with them to be the first platform or local exchange that would come out on top of the Binance cloud um, architecture. And we, you know, we kind of aligned this in, let's say middle of, or end of 2019, which was before it was announced, before it was, uh, was super ready. And 
it was, it was for them a really awesome play because so many people at that time were trying to build the picks and shuffles. Like everyone who was, everyone was like, I want to create an exchange. Right. And like in whatever country for whatever, you know, pocket of people that they knew. And so their play was, we want to give people a toolbox to just white label startup exchanges. Um, Cause the big exchanges saw that as a really cool strategy to, you know, get other uh, sellers effectively for liquidity. And so we were like, yeah, this works, this will work exceptionally well because no one else in Korea is doing order book sharing. And if we launch Finance Korea on Finance Cloud, we then just plug directly into um, Binance.com liquidity. And because we can operate the exchange on what we, we sunset CareWB, turned it into BKRW, you now guys have a cross pair of basically one of the only you know, Korean won cross country pairs like that didn't exist. So it was a new product. And especially because everyone was so like, how can we capture kimchi premiums ourselves? We were like, we will hand this to you guys. It will just be a baked in product for you guys. And they were, they were like super excited about that aspect. Um, and fast forward, like it was working, right? Like we, they listed uh, BKRW on Binance.com. We launched the exchange in Korea. But yeah, as JJ said, like yeah. the, BKRW was actually redeemable for KRW in Korea. So like the yeah. whole the whole ecosystem was working. Yeah. yeah. How how large did it get? It it didn't. I mean, it wasn't gaining a ton of traction in the first few weeks, and then regulation came like pretty soon after that. Right. Like it was it was like that's why I say it was a really unfortunate missed opportunity. Because like all the pieces were there for basically flattening the Korean uh, premiums. So other other public this is public information um, in Korea if you read Korean. So one of the hiccups along the way was obviously the bank uh, the bank was like you can't do this right. So they shut down uh, they shut down uh, you know the corporate accounts that we were using for BKRW. All right, and we were like we totally can do this, and we sued the bank and we won. And they opened our accounts back up, right? So it's just like, there's just a lot of things that add friction. And especially in Korea, fiat on off-ramps is super prominent, right? So Binance Korea, if you don't have any type of fiat banking, like every other exchange is more, is easier and faster to get money in. So I think that was a big difficulty. And then they are this year in 2021, focusing on their like Korean crypto regulations and, you know, a lot of the, the policies kind of work against uh, cross-border liquidity sharing and, you know, things like that. So it was, and, it was and a so as a result, does, is there still a premium in South Korea? There is, there like, is 2% today. <laughs> and so, you know, let's kind of, you know, segment into what you guys are doing now. Um, and so now you guys are working on BXB Capital, you know, full time, but obviously, you know, you're not doing this, you know, Korean American ARB and, you know, going from 50 something percent down to 2%, you know, obviously if you can make 2% a day, you're going to make a ridiculous amount of money. Um, but obviously there's a lot of restrictions and, and things in place now. So what are some of the strategies that you're focused on now? So my background is building technical systems. So we actually started kind of opening up a fund in 2018 for our own capital. Um, and we kind of were working on some of the stuff that I was using before uh, crypto. And it's it's kind of old school uh, pattern recognition style things. Um, so it's basically just like quantitative analysis on top of pattern recognition. 
and yeah, long, short futures trading. Um, we've been doing that now live for about a year and a half with our own capital. And for the first time, we started uh, raising outside capital because we could deploy more than what we personally were trading. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of awesome to go back to kind of my, my roots, which is technical trading. And yeah, we have fully automated systems running now with, I don't know, like 200 individual components that are, you know, running all on their own. And yeah, it's awesome. It's been, it's been a ton of fun. And so how many assets are you trading? Uh, right. You mean like crypto assets? Crypto assets. Yeah. Yeah. So we're predominantly trading BTC and ETH. It's, it's a liquidity issue. So we're always takers. So it's like one of the biggest equations we look at is top of order book uh, depth. So BTC and ETH is basically where it's at. So when we do smaller things, we're actually trading some BNB um, on like our algorithms. And yeah, but that's like a fraction of the portfolio compared to, you know, BTC and ETH. And so how are you actually routing these orders now? I mean, are you using, uh, you know, OTC? Are you using smart order routing? Are you just trading on individual exchanges? How are you splitting up orders? No, it's all it's all custom built. So this is where like Alex really you know manages our tech team and builds a lot of the infrastructure, um, and then I kind of architect a lot of the strategies, the design. But we're you know just connected directly to all the or to we're we're primarily trading Huobi and finance right now, and we're trading the futures markets. We have our own order routing systems, um, our own processing engines. Yeah, and so and so you know, one of the challenges, I mean, I guess you guys are only trading on two exchanges and you're trading relatively liquid markets, but you know, one of the challenges that I always think about is the challenge of actually needing to physically have capital to deploy, right? So if you spot an opportunity on an individual exchange, actually having capital on that exchange. So how do, how do you guys deal with that? Or is that just not something you're dealing with? Cause you're basically just 50, 50 between these exchanges. Yeah. That, that's just like not a way that our systems trade. Like our, our systems are so basically like think of it like a silo uh, and we have like 200 individual silos that have allocated capital to them. And then that allocated cap, that's like allocated silo will either go long, short, or do whatever it does in whatever asset it's trading. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's completely independent of all the other units. Right. And right. we'll rebalance between all of those. And these are all individual strategies, basically, that are running on their own. Uh, it's basically one king strategy with 200 micro variants. It's probably Got the best it. way to say it. Got it. And and so what is, um, I mean, a, a few questions. One, you know, you're, you're obviously raising external capital. So you think you can scale this strategy. You know, where do you, where do you think it caps out? Pretty big number. Um, <laughs> like, I, I think running 100 million is not too unreasonable. I think we're close to the tech level of uh, development that we need to hit that number, but not quite there at this moment. But yeah, and I, I think within a year, it's it's a factor of that as well. So um, the the way and the style we trade and the holding periods we have give us a lot of room for deployment ability. And and how how long are your holding periods? And are are you are you levering up now that you're trading futures? We don't actually take uh, leverage right now. Um, it's something we'll consider. Uh, we, we look at MAR, right? So our entire way of like framework, our entire framework for looking at trading is your risk over your, or your reward over your drawdown. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we like to look at risk. So uh, we're not taking leverage, but we will if it fits within the right risk reward ratios. Um, but yeah. And the holding period is about seven days. Um, yeah. And so I was going through your website and for, you know, BXB Capital or Block by Block Capital Fund One, it says you're investing both in crypto and traditional markets. So can you kind of walk us through that? 
Yeah. So I think one of the coolest things that I think everyone saw, but it doesn't seem like anyone is doing, is the non-correlation effect between crypto and the traditional like future traditional markets. And it kind of blew my mind that no one was doing anything on this. Like everybody wants crypto as part of their portfolio as like a non-correlating asset. But one of the greatest things in finance ever is non-correlation just due to rebalancing. It's just like our math. So to, to us, it was kind of a no-brainer. We were trading our own capital. We were like, why wouldn't we take some of the non-correlation effect inside of it, especially when you have that rebalancing effect? So yeah, it, it just felt like a just a no-brainer mathematical equaction. And so and you same strategies. It's actually the same path, like the same pattern recognition, the same strategies. So for us, it's also something that works on both sides of the table. So easy to apply. And, and what would you say your allocation is to crypto versus equities in terms of percentage terms? So we trade uh, traditional futures with 10x leverage. So it's effectively uh, like 90-90, but... It's 90-10. Yeah, it's 90-10. Exactly, right. And so other than, you know, I mean, I guess the crypto and equity thing is, is does make you different than a lot of other funds out there. But but why should people be excited about block by block? What are you guys doing that just makes you different than, you know, the other crypto funds or the other traditional funds that are now, you know, starting to touch digital assets? I think we're in a pretty niche spot um, where we really appeal to guys who look at risk reward ratios. So you have people who have like super long, crazy exposure, uh, you know, crazy DeFi plays, crazy whatever, where they're looking for 10, 100 Xs. Um, and then you have the guys who are looking at more uh, like a lot of the HFT funds or the ARB funds. And, you know, they have, they have amazing risk ratios, um, but they're also returns are a lot lower. So we're looking at a sweet spot where we try to capture a large percentage of the upside, but then take a fraction of the downside. Uh, which really puts us into kind of our own separate category. There's a couple, there's definitely a couple of people in our category for sure. Um, it's probably closest to like CTA style in traditional markets. Uh, it's probably like the category people would put us in. But I think our risk reward ratios are really where we separate ourselves from most other players. I also think that we've we've had a lot of conversations with like the crypto fund of funds and we've gotten some really nice, uh, like polite compliments from them in terms of how we kind of, organize and execute our strategies is different than a lot of the other funds that they've talked to. So I think that kind of reassures us to the proprietary ways that we feel like, you know, the, 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 what we're, what we're onto is different. Right. And it's not like, Oh yeah, we've heard of a crypto fund doing, doing stuff like that. And, you know, the way that we can trade perpetual futures um, and, you know, some of the some of the things that we can do to combine extra alpha on top of our baseline strategies is also you know maybe not being executed by uh, like other types of funds. And so, given that you're trading both crypto and equities, what are you actually benchmarking against? We mostly benchmark probably BTC because I think at the end of the day, if we could capture seventy five percent of the upside of the crypto market, which is BTC dominated. And if we only took 25% of the downside, like obviously that's like targets. Um, if we can hit that as a whole different equation. But yeah, like I think that's the ultimate dream. And, and then obviously improving on things to where we capture more than the upside of the crypto market and we take, you know, as little to no downside as possible. I mean, that's that's obviously the dream. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's what you guys were able to accomplish in 2017. But, you know, <laughs> was that was a different time. <laughs> dreaming and I, I figure out how do we get it done. That's 
there's our duo right there. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so aside from the fund, I mean, the fund isn't taking any long-term fundamental investment approach. Is it at, at, at any point? And are you guys doing that with your PAs at all? Like your personal accounts? We have like a tiny, I don't know, I guess it's not tiny anymore, but it's like a troll account where we just like, you know, we're like, okay, let's just hold some crypto. And we, we just do, we do everything together. Um, and then, you know, that portfolio did pretty well. And then we're like, oh, okay, like crypto is pretty stupid. Like <laughs> This is ridiculous. Like we held Dogecoin because we thought it was funny. Um, and then Dogecoin obviously like made this huge move after everything. We're like, that's just stupid. <laughs> crypto is so dumb. I look, I love crypto. I'm in it full time. I'm, I'm like 90% of my liquid net worth is in crypto. That wasn't on purpose. It's just because of what happened in this market. <laughs> Plus my company is crypto. I mean, I'm like fully exposed to this market and it's stupid as hell. Like it is so ridiculous. I mean, I just did an episode, uh, with, with Shane, as I told you, I actually just recorded right before you from Bybit. I don't know which one's going to come out first. So if you didn't listen and it's already out, listen, if not, it's coming in a couple of days. Um, <laughs> But the, uh, you know, we were just talking about like DeFi and just all this stupidity. I mean, like yield farms are popping up out of nowhere and tokens are going from like five cents to $20 in a few seconds, then down to five cents. And you're getting 2 million percent APR by providing these different liquidity pools. And there's just so much stupidity. But I, I you know, it's, it's great. Like it's so much fun. Like it's, if, if you're into, you know, and, and I think a lot of, I don't know about the South Korean culture, but I know that, the, you know, the Chinese culture and a lot of Asian cultures are very much into gambling. Um, oh, if, yeah. you're into, if you're into gambling, I mean, there is no better place to be than crypto. Sure. I mean, you could get 2 million percent APR. I mean, yeah. I was trading on something called Toad Finance the other day before it, I, I got out before I think it rug pulled. Um, but oh, I mean, man. you can, it's, this market is so stupid, but it's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, I think for us, it's like, we, uh, we were like, it is so crazy and it will make a bunch of people, a bunch of money, you know, in like early 2020, we were like, okay, let's just like side, you know, side pocket, a bunch of this stuff. I think the most degen thing that we did was like, we, we each built our own portfolio and now every week we, we compete in a horse race, right? So it's like, okay, like JJ is all about the technicals of like, okay, what has a thousand X back to top? What has a hundred X back to top? I'm like, hmm, I like the engine metaverse. Like these guys are going places, like these types of things. So, so what's the shittiest thing you guys are holding right now? 100% populous. Yeah. I don't even populous. know what it is. I've never I don't even know of- what it is. It was <laughs> like, I, I went down the list and it just had like a hundred oh. or a thousand. Like it had some ridiculous multiple back to its all time high. I was like, let's definitely buy some of this. Popular. Um, I, I just typed it in Google. CoinMarketCap didn't even pop up. Let's see. What yeah. <laughs> pop, it's upset. 2% today. 113 million market cap. Oh God. Down oh, that's, from all that's time. way more. I think it had a market cap of like 10 million when we bought it or something like that. Something dumb. The question is, can you get out of Populous? The the the, the volume on the, its most liquid pair is Populous BTC is doing 518 million, 518,000 in volume on uh, Binance. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it's, it's, it's dumb. It's literally just so dumb. Um, yeah. But like, honestly, we try to avoid that, right? Like it's fun to talk about and we like, our little horse race bet between us was pretty funny because we're just like, oh, my shit coins are doing better than your shit coins. Um, but like, it, that's just not our approach. I mean, I, I come from a very strong like financial and wealth management background. 
And we really try to focus on like our risk adjusted returns and we really try to like stay level headed. So as much fun as it is to like throw tiny gambles out there. Uh, it's also so distracting. Like It's to, so distracting. Like, it's, it's incredibly distracting, right? And I think like we need to make sure that our attention is on our fund, right? And that we are focused on already crypto trades 24 seven and our systems are operating in live 24 seven. And if we distract ourselves with things like this, it's just like, there's not enough time in a day, right? And so I think we make peace with like, yeah, other people definitely make like a thousand X, a hundred X, like, and we're okay, right? Like, I think we're, uh, we are passionate about what we do. And I am definitely passionate about building all of our internal, you know, proprietary systems. Like that's why I get out of bed, right? It's really fun working with our engineering team. Um, you know, working with JJ and his, his dad on like, what is it that you guys need to trade better, to back test better, right? Like just do things in a smarter, more scalable way. And we just, we just have that long-term mindset, right? Like we want to still be here in three, five, 10 years, just kind of in a, in a good spot. We also said like a long time ago that there's a lot of ways to make money and we don't want to make money the shitty ways. Like when we got offered to move money for like Russian arms dealers and there was, I don't know, like, no, like true story. Um, it was like back in the arbitrage days and basically there was going to be like, I don't know, like 10 or 20 million in it for us. And we were just like, like, I don't really want to help people money launder. Like, <laughs> like that's not like a business we want to be in. And I think we kind of took the same approach with like a lot of these crazy new things coming out is we don't see value in them. So it's just a, an infinite Ponzi scheme and we don't necessarily, I don't necessarily want to profit from other people losing money. Fair enough. That's respectable. And so one <laughs> question that we have to ask, cause we ask all of our guests, it's the fundamental value podcast is how do you define fundamentals for crypto and are there fundamentals or is everything outside of Bitcoin just a Ponzi scheme in your, in your uh, view? I, I definitely believe that there is fundamental value in, in the entire crypto ecosystem, including the DeFi uh, space. And for me, it's about, and, and it's definitely part of the factor on why I was so interested in you know, coming into the space full time. It's about, there is definitely a paradigm shift happening in terms of developing products. And I think the easiest way to, to assess value is cost reduction, right? Like these types of DeFi um, finance products remove middlemen, they make transactions cheaper, they remove infrastructure, right? And like at a bank, like to get to the quality and the reliability uh, of financial infrastructure is like, it's very costly, right? And to facilitate these types of transactions when you boil it down to, you know, uh, people trying to just do cross-border remittance, there's a lot of cost in that. And so if you just look at the ability to remove costs and build new, like the same finance products, but building them in a cheaper way, like automating P2P loans, borrowing, these types of things, there is a lot of fundamental value in that. But what happens is it gets, it's very commoditized. And so when you have this DeFi platform that rolls in and forks to this other thing, they're all exactly the same. And all they're trying to do is commoditize the product and then make money off of the hype and make money off of the community. Because 
it is true, right? Like the bank that get, that has the most AUM will make more money than you know the banks who don't have, have that much AUM. So there is a lot of value, and I also see a lot of personal value in you know the supply chain, um, you know applications, the you know provenance, you know like the oracles. Like there there are a lot, right? Like you have a lot of facets that add a lot of fundamental value. It's just so tough because there aren't that many users and you can only have value growth when you have people using it. And I think that's, that's where everyone is like, we want to get in now because inevitably once it blows up, there's going to be so many users and that will believe value. And so, you know, how long do you guys think this bull market is going to last for? I mean, you guys were part of the correction um, and, and, you know, you know, do you think this is going to look similar to 2018, you know, where you have populist, down 99.9% or whatever from its all-time high. You know, what do you think what do you think it's going to look like or do you think because of all this institutional capital and bitcoin, you know, we're not going to see the same correction or is it going to be limited to alts? I mean, what what are your kind of thoughts? I mean, bitcoin has been on like this decreasing wave uh like technical pattern for since its inception basically and it's kind of like yeah. It's like a four-year cycle and a lot of people have identified it and I think it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy where everyone sees the correction coming. Everyone sees the bull run coming. So they trade it as such. So I, I mean, I said, like, I basically in 2018, uh, we were out of the markets and I thought Bitcoin was going to go to 2700 and it went to 3K and we didn't buy anything. So we were just stupid. But like, when it was about at like 3K, 6K, like I, I thought Bitcoin was going to go to 50K and we've hit that. I now think that we might be going higher, um, but it's it's tough to tell. I think we have maybe like another like three to six months, maybe nine months tops of like bull run left. And I think we it's will a long see bull run, run considering how fast this market has moved. Mm, I mean, if like I'm just. I'm just looking at what happened historically, right? Yeah, no, no, it makes so, sense. You know, and and, and analogies are and analogies are important, right? And, and yeah, and so if you, if you just kind of like play all that out over again, I think it's something like that. Like, yeah, I, I would say like maybe you know 7,500k on Bitcoin in the next like three to nine months, and then we're gonna see probably a correction that comes pretty far to like 10, 20k. That would that would just be my guess, but like. We, the good thing is we don't Do you really to. think we're going to, I mean, given all the institutional capital in this space, do you really think we can correct all the way back to 10K? I mean, I'm, if, if we get anywhere near that, you, you better bet that any, any penny I have left in the bank is going right into Bitcoin. So and I, I'm I assuming think- there's a lot of high net worth family offices. I mean, we talk to them on a daily basis, institutions, pensions, endowments, that are now allocating to this space. I mean, you know, in, at least in my mind, and look, just my opinion, you know, I feel like it's Bitcoin feels safer than it did before in terms of, you know, ability to correct just because, you know, people now tend to be less speculative, at least in my opinion. But I think you're, you're on altcoins. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, I think it, it probably similar and, and, you know, I'd love Alex for you to provide your opinion after as well. Yeah, no, I was I was just gonna say I think seventy-five to eighty percent correction is still very possible on Bitcoin. Might might be sixty, but yeah, I, I see I could totally see a big correction. From my opinion, I'm definitely a terrible trader. I'm I'm definitely not a trader. We leave all the all anytime we need to trade things by hand, I don't have enough patience. So I've been learning and I think for me, like 
what I pick up on is the interest level and how people try and use it. And I think there is a lot of, um, I think there's going to be a lot of buying power coming in that adds support, but there is a lot of things that don't really matter on price per se, like the way that people are trying to find ways to use a lot of the tokens and, you know, build on top of Bitcoin um, as a way to secure information, right? Like just utilizing the blockchain or different functionalities, right? That don't, that maybe don't have an, as much close ties to the price. So that's really tough. Um, and it's really just about like, valuations in tech companies are pretty crazy these days, right? In general, right? And then you're talking about now there are tech crypto companies that also have crazy valuations. So it could evaporate, but more people could totally come into the space, which means that, yeah, like it's it's really difficult to know. And so my, my final question was actually going to be around shit coins, but we already, we already hit on that. And so, you know, I guess my, my final question would be, what is the biggest lesson you learned um, from your experience with the kimchi premium, what is your biggest takeaway? Oh man. Uh, you know what? I know what mine is. Mine is, uh, trust is everything. And it was interesting working with crypto, which is meant to be this like trustless environment, but it still came down to the trust of the other person on the other end and the trust of the partners that you're working with. It's a great answer. I like that answer. I think, I'm going to fork my answer into a, a good one and a funny one. <laughs> and um, let's so end with the, the funny one. So do the good one first. Do the good one. Yeah. Okay. So the, the good one is like, I actually learned a lot about financial products and applications and like the financial system. So like there was just a lot of like understanding on how monetary policies were, how it caught like inter country economies were, you know, inflation. So that was like, you know, that was really great. That was very um, insightful. The funny one is like definitely like don't like block um, block times and trying to trade block times, especially when you have all these different forks. Man, we learned like don't trade all of the upcoming forks for every little Bitcoin spinoff like Bitcoin SB, Bitcoin Gold, like whatever. That was what we learned because that was super, super painful. <laughs> when we yeah. Were like, yeah. <laughs> that sounds cool. Is it just like Bitcoin? Yeah, let's just totally do that. Same spreads, more free money. We just like split our money in half. That that totally makes sense. It did not work like that. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. And ending lesson is if the previous block time was 20 minutes does not mean the next block time will be 20 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, look, I really appreciate you having having you on. And I think this is the first time you've ever publicly shared this story. So uh, at least in a forum like this, um, if yeah. not, we can I can at least, you know, entertain myself and pretend it is. Um, but, uh, you know, really appreciate it. It's a great story. It's awesome. Uh, and so we'll have it in the description. But where can people find you guys online and, and find out more about the fund? Uh, people can go to our website um bxbcapital.com or just like email us or hit yeah. us up on twitter or yeah or, i don't, I don't have, have twitter, twitter. i don't have a twitter like telegram i don't have a twitter <laughs> yeah. don't find us on twitter we're not there <laughs> look on twitter but we're not there yeah. all right all right cool well i will make sure to get your information to drop in the description so thanks again guys it was great having you on yeah. thank you very much